you would take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We'd like to continue in our study here in this amazing letter that Paul wrote and that God uses throughout all of our known history. God uses this and he uses it to change lives. And I trust that you are one of those lives, that you are being changed by the power of his word and the power of God's Holy Spirit. There's nothing better. And uh, I want to ask you this. You know, here is another section about love. And I, I have a question here. My question is this. Why do you think this section of Romans is so loaded with instruction and exhortation on loving, on loving fellow Christians, on loving other people. And I think you know, it's because we need it over and over and over and over again. We need it. And so, you might be thinking, well, I've heard a kabillion lessons and messages on love. Well, guess what? Here's another one, okay? And it's good. It, it's, it's supposed to be this way. We need these reminders. Now, I've entitled this message, Stepping Out in Love. I want to tell you what I mean by that right away, okay? What I mean is stepping out onto the dance floor, okay? <laughs> stepping out like you're stepping out onto the dance floor. And if you're like me... <laughs> You don't do very well stepping out on the dance floor. <laughs> I had two uh, weddings to prepare for that I had to dance with the bride, my daughter. And um, the way you would have figured the way I was going about it was that it was all about me. You know, and for crying out loud, you know, everyone's looking at the beautiful bride. They're not looking at you, the father. But, you know, you just, you, you, you try and, I mean, I remember trying to practice alone. I, I, I was too embarrassed to try to, you know, get Noreen to do it with me. <laughs> but you're trying to, you know, just make sure you don't trip on her gown or something like that and uh, really mess things up. What era did you grow up in? Did you grow up doing a swing dance? Some of you did, I know. You know how to swing dance like the back of your hand. Me and many of you did not grow up in that era of learning how to swing dance. We grew up in an era that had stupid dance. (laughs) Had really stupid dance. Really awkward, stupid dance. You know, because it was all about you. And you didn't care what your partner did. Right? Right? But in swing dance, what did you have to do? You had to work with your partner. And it looked really cool. And so now, here we turn around in this life and here my son knows how to swing dance. And I didn't teach him. Go figure. But he, you know, watching him swing dance is, is really, it's teamwork. It's really, you know, it's not awkward like it is with me. Or maybe you. Um, 
And by the way, on top of all this, if I were to watch or observe dancing, I could be a very uh, critical judge of that, um, whether I like it or not. You know, we, it's just this kind of a way. And part of it is because I'm so bad at it. You know, and this is the connection here, my friend. We're dealing with a passage of Scripture here that we can be kind of awkward with. All right? And um, we need this reminder from Scripture. We must come back to a passage like Romans 14, be reminded that we need to keep stepping out in love with those that we have differences with. Okay? And so, um, as I've mentioned here, my dancing can be awkward. Um, my, I've learned in my life that my love can be awkward towards those that have different views than I do. And so, we need to understand what stepping out in love is about. And so, point number one is learning to dance with our differences. Learning to dance with our differences. Okay? And I want you to follow along. And that's as a body of believers. That's not just about one individual. That's as a body of believers that we need to learn how to love despite differences. Okay? Follow along with me in Romans 14, verses 1 through 6. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let him not, let not him, I'm sorry, let not him who eats regard with contempt, him who does not eat, and let him, and and let not him who does not eat, Judge him who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Okay? And so, with this first section, learning to dance with our differences, if you will, Paul gives these examples the first one is to eat meat or not. To eat meat or not. In verses 2 through 3. It's because of what those people were dealing with in that time. Some, many of you probably are aware of it. The issue of meat and how it was prepared. It, you know, we're talking about the letter to the what? The letter to the Romans. And there in Rome, there were many who were Jewish Christians. And they obviously understood, well, that meat better be prepared kosher. Or there was Christians that were there in Rome 
who understood, oh, I've been saved out of idolatry, and I know what, where some of that meat comes from. And thus we have a connection back over to 1 Corinthians in chapter 8 about meat offered to idols. And so here are people that have a problem with eating meat because they, in their minds they know where it came from, that it came from the temple maybe, possibly. And so they did not want to eat because they thought that that meat was dedicated to an idol. Now, what does Paul say in, in 1 Corinthians? He says, well, guess what? There's no such thing as an idol when he get right down to it. So there's not any problem with meat. It's just that here's where we get to this issue of those who are, what? Weak in the faith. They haven't thought things through. And so they're, they're looking at it saying, hey, you know, this is meat. I, I better not eat that because I might get you know, some disease or something, you know, because it's offered to an idol. Okay? So, the idea came down to, it's meat, and God has blessed, so eat and enjoy. That's the, that's the point, and that's what, here's what strong believers, those who are strong in the faith, they understood that. But here's the problem. It's how we view that person and think what they're doing, and we have an attitude towards them, right? And Paul's pointing out, these are opinions. These are differences. And he's trying to clarify it, so he has to give these examples. The second example is to observe days or not. To observe days or not. And this, too, was a big deal among Christians of the day with a strong influence of the Jewish uh, the, the, the upbringing that a Jewish person had, certain special days um, in honor or remembrance, you know, the, the festival days, all the different days that the Jewish person was to, to remember, okay? And especially that of the Sabbath day. And we still, to this day, our present time, there are still believers who have differences of opinion about the Sabbath. And why are you working on the Sabbath when the Bible says don't work on the Sabbath? And it's like almost all of us are in violation of it, right? So how do we understand that? One quick statement is that Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus accomplished it. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. Okay? Now, you still need rest from your work. You still need that. You Physically, mentally, emotionally, you need rest. Okay? But the best rest you can get is Jesus. <laughs> and trusting Him, in learning of Him, in growing in your faith in Him. Not just sitting back and watching a... a a movie marathon all day long. And that's how you get your rest. No, your rest is in Christ. Okay? And add this reference if you're taking notes. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Okay? And Paul is mentioning that business there about observing days don't let someone be your judge in in observing days or festivals or new moons and all that 
So, Colossians 2, 16 through 17. So these are examples of differences of opinion. Notice, it's not about doctrine. There's an important distinction there. Doctrine, you you and I need to grow in understanding doctrine, in understanding knowledge of who God is and who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, and here is one God in three persons. Okay? And you and I need to grow in those issues of doctrine. When it comes to differences, though, we need to understand, are these differences in behavior and in styles and upbringing? I mean, look at this. Here we are, a a group here in little old Fallon, America. And each one, you know, it's like you, you grew up, maybe you grew up in the East Coast. And you came here. Maybe you grew up in the Midwest, wherever, in the, in the South, in the far West here. You know, maybe you're not even from America and you grew up in another country. All those things factor in on why we need to be wise about these differences and these opinions. Okay? So, Paul gives these examples. And then I want to add in some of these added extras. Because... This was in their day, after Christ had um, uh, risen up from the grave and ascended to heaven. And here are the issues of their day that Paul was trying to clarify. But you know what? In our day, we've got a ton of other things that have been thrown into the mix. (laughs) I remember the first time at college, I was told, Swenson, your hair is too long go get it cut. Um, I remember the days of you had to wear certain kind of clothes, certain kind of clothes to church. And by the way, Dale White, no shorts, right? (laughs) And there were certain truths that you connected with spirituality. Long hair, right? Vacationing in Las Vegas. Serious. We had a, a summer gospel. Uh, it was a summer gospel team that was asked to go to Las Vegas. And this was back in the mid 70s. And it's like, do they have churches in Las Vegas? We're supposed to go to Las Vegas. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, attending movies. You know, back in the day. You were not supposed to attend movies, Christian. You weren't supposed to attend movies. Back in the day, uh, John Grantham and John Billet and Patty would be out of a job because you don't have guitars and drums in church. Back in the day. These things were issues of division and differences. Um, playing cards. That was a bad thing. Um, Dancing, obviously, well, dancing, come on. That was a bad thing. And listen, in my upbringing, it was a bad thing. Because those of you that grew up in, in the 60s and 70s, you knew what that dancing ended up, you know, pointing to. And it, it, it wasn't like swing dancing. <laughs> so 
that was very, a very, it became a very sensual thing in dancing the way you would dance. Uh, mixed sunbathing. That was another issue, right? Mixed sunbathing or swimming. Um, and here's a big one, you know, versions of the Bible. We continue to tell Chris Ward he is, <laughs> he is wrong. <laughs> there it is. There's his version of the Bible. But um, listen, we can, we can, there's all sorts of stuff. It's because we equate spirituality with some of these things. And it's, it's not there. And that's what Paul is trying to just open up to us here with Romans chapter 14. Okay? So he gives us effective exhortations. Effective exhortations. These are basic steps in which we need to take in determining to love others despite the differences. And that is, number one, welcome. You see it there under effective exhortations. Just, it's a matter of welcome and, and accept and receive. All those words are pretty much the same. Welcome, accept, receive. Okay? And the reason is because God has accepted you. <laughs> if God's accepted you, what am I thinking? What are you thinking if God has accepted me? So that's a first exhortation. So welcome one another, accept one another, receive one another. Then a, a next one is, he says it there in verse 1. You see it? Accept the one, but not for the purpose of passing judgment. So here's where we hear this one. This next exhortation is judge not. And you, you've heard it so many times, people out in the workplace, people in your circles of friends, they'll turn around and say, well, stop judging her or stop judging me. And this is a, a fine line, believer, Christian. It's a fine line that we have to understand. You have to have discernment in your life. You need discernment because there are many false prophets out in the world and you've got to have discernment. Is this God's will? Is this God's doing? Is this God's pleasing? Then I want to go after it and honor God. But on the other hand, in this context now, we're not to judge when it comes to differences of opinion. Important distinction there. And he says, judge not. And that gets at this idea of passing judgment on somebody else. On criticizing somebody else. On having a critical spirit in a wrong sense. I want to see a body of believers grow up to have a critical understanding of the scriptures. Be like the Bereans. They went and the, after hearing from Paul, they went and studied the scriptures to see if these things are so. They had a critical understanding of the word. But then towards other people, and you guys know it, you know what I'm talking about. You're, when you're critical of somebody else for what they did or what they said or how they did it or how they dressed or their hairdo or whatever. <laughs> okay? And we're really, you know what? It's really sad. We're really good at it. That's sad. 
we're good at having a critical spirit towards other people. And he says, judge not. And then the other one he says is despise not. Don't show contempt for the other person. Now, there's an illustration. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Going in the Old Testament. If you hit Psalms, you've got to go to the left. Okay? 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're looking at verses 14 and on. Now let me start at verse 12. The last part of verse 12. And David, King David, went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with a sound of trumpet. And then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. Okay? She looked down upon him in in a critical, judgmental kind of a way. Okay? And this is the point that he Paul is getting back or getting at back in here's Romans fourteen again. We've got to we've got to think, folks. As a Christian, if you're saying you're a Christian, where are you at with this issue of being having a critical spirit? Stop and think about it. Am I responding to my wife or my husband with a critical spirit? Am I responding to those around me? Am I responding to my children with a critical spirit? And you need to get rid of that. You need to get that eliminated. You need to work on saying... You know, we need to understand what does God say about these kind of things. Now, this is where we get into um, what people call gray issues, right? Gray issues, meaning it's not, you know, black or white. It's a gray issue. And we need to ask God for wisdom in how to deal with these things, especially with our children. So they grow up not as a, a, a little Pharisee, but they, they will grow up in the wisdom and the fear and love for the, the Lord. And this is the problem. We've all, every one of us, we've got these seeds of Phariseeism in us. You know, I, I know I've got a critical spirit in certain ways. You know, I, for instance, I can be... Um, off uh, traveling, whatever, and go visit a church on a Sunday. And guess what? A critical spirit starts popping up. And what's the critical spirit really driven by? It's my old nature. It's my flesh. It's your flesh, your old nature that's kicking up and, you know, complaining or griping about such and such or such and such. And that's not... 
That's not where a Christian is at, living at, really. That's not where God would have his children to be. He would rather, getting back to these effective exhortations, he wants us to be fully convinced. Verse 5, Romans 14, verse 5. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Hey, that's great. Let it be. And let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's, here's a matter of conviction. It's conviction. That's one of the keys to what Paul is driving at. What's your conviction? And can you, drive, can you go back to the Word of God and say, this is where I get this from. I get it from God's Word, not my own upbringing. Because I realize my own upbringing may not have been, you know, in an accurate scriptural way. <laughs> also, verse 6. Look at verse 6. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. For what? He gives thanks to God. He who, he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. So be fully convinced in your heart and be fully grateful in your heart. Okay? Those two issues are further exhortations about how to deal with this kind of an issue. Okay? Let's move on to the back of your outline. And it's verses 7 through 12. Chapter 14, 7 through 12. Ordering our steps. Now, if you're going to dance with your differences, you've got to order your steps properly. And really, it's another way to say ordering your liberties. Ordering your liberties. And there's three guiding principles given to keep Christians, listen, given to keep Christians from falling into the trap of having a critical spirit. And this helps motivate us to love our brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. That's, that's a simple statement. That's a, those are familiar words. But that's what the Scripture is saying here. It's for whom Christ died. That's why we're living and ordering our steps or our liberties in this way. Because Christ died for you as a brother in, or a sister in Christ. I want to live and order my life in such a way that I, I can be able to, to dance with my differences. Got it? So let's look at this. There's three guiding principles. And we see it starting at verse 7 and 8. And the first principle is this. You, as a Christian, you are not your own. There it is. <laughs> You're not your own. You're somebody else's possession. In other words, you're the Lord's possession as a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you need to be saved. You need to come to faith in Christ. You need to put your trust in Him. You need to acknowledge your sin and confess Him as Lord. That He's the Savior. There is no one else. Got it? So trust in Christ. And then ask Him to start changing your life. Okay? So, Christian, you are not your own. That's something that helps us understand those with other differences. Those with other opinions. You're not your own. Look, there are so many issues in all of living and dying. Romans 14, verse 7. Look at it. Follow along. 
For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. What is he getting at now? It's like he just opens wide the door and here's the, like the total sum of all that we are and all that we deal with. So whether you are, you know, verse 7, you don't live for yourself, you don't die for yourself. Verse 8, for if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's in whatever area we're talking about. So he kind of, you know, zooms away and, and takes in the big picture. Okay. So we live to his honor and glory. And so we are to, if you will, die to his honor and glory. That's the idea. Because why? You're not your own. You're not your own. Letter B, the second guiding principle found in verses 9 through 10. You are not another's judge. You are not another's judge judge look at verse 9 and 10 for to this end christ died and lived again that he might be lord both of the dead and of the living but you why do you judge your brother or again or you again why do you regard your brother with contempt for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of god god is the judge He's saying, here's, Jesus is Lord. You know that. That's clear in Scripture. But in this argument, in this issue that we're dealing with, he's bringing it back to the, the center. He's saying, Jesus is Lord. You aren't. I'm not. Who do you think you are in judging your brother or showing contempt for somebody else? What in the world? Come on, who put you on the throne, right? We serve him. We belong to him. We are brothers and sisters. And my friend, my Christian friend, this is why the church across America it can be so lame, so ineffective, is because we're not loving the way Christ instructed us to in his word. We're, we're allowing the critical spirit to kick up. And it's over some difference or opinion that doesn't matter for eternity. And guess what? You are not another's judge. I am not another's judge. And we, as Christians, we will stand before the Bema seat judgment. The Bema seat judgment of Christ. You're saying, wait a minute. I thought Romans said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're right. There is no condemnation, meaning you will never be separated from God. But there is a day of reckoning that you will give an account before Jesus, before God, the judgment seat where your works will be checked out. What did you do? Did you do it for your glory, your sake, someone else's sake? Or did you do it for Christ and his honor and his glory? So. These are the guiding principles. Letter A, you're not your own. Letter B, you are not another's judge. Letter C, you will not answer for another. Okay? God's not going to call upon you and say, come on, can you come up here a second? I need to, I need to get your, your take on this guy. I remember 
a Christian song long ago uh, during, the co- during college days where it had that kind of thinking in the song. You know, when God's going to call upon you to answer, you know, to tell about what I've done, you know, whoa, whoa, time out. God's not going to do that. Does God need any help in that from, from you or me? No. So you will not answer for another but for yourself. You will answer for yourself. You will give an account of yourself to God. God will not ask for your counsel for somebody else, another brother or another sister. He doesn't need our help. So with those, those are guiding principles about dealing with this thing of differences and how we love. And God help us to love in this way. You know, when, when we do love in this way, we're going to be used of God. God will be glorified in this kind of love. There, along with this, this comes to mind because this is what we're dealing with here today in this passage. And next week, in the, in the next passage in Romans 14, four guiding questions. Four guiding questions as to what you choose to do. Here they are. Number one, is it beneficial in regards to your choices in what you do? One of the, the uh, things we didn't really talk about was, was smoking. You know, we could say, well, after church in the fellowship hall, we're going to have our C.H. Spurgeon time. We're going to be smoking some Cuban cigars. C.H. Spurgeon did that. I don't know if they're Cuban cigars, but he smoked a cigar. You know, it's like, okay, I can do that and say I'm being like Spurgeon. Yeah. But is that beneficial? No. There's a lot of issues in your life, your choices. Oh, last week we talked about drinking. You know, you know, is somebody going to get all bent out of shape because you have a bottle of wine in your, your refrigerator? No. But if you overdo it and you keep overdoing it, yes, there ought to be Christians that say something because you're overdoing the thing with alcohol. And, you, you know, the, the Christians argue, oh, but wine and alcohol, they were, you know, they were part of biblical times. I don't know if they were at that level of alcohol content. So you have to ask these questions. Is this beneficial, number one? Is it beneficial? Is it beneficial spiritually? Is it beneficial emotionally? Is it beneficial in parenting? And my kids are watching me, you. Is it beneficial mentally? Is it beneficial physically? So... Ask yourself that. Secondly, does it bring me under its control? Whatever it is, does it bring me under its control? Am I controlled by it? And this is one thing, my friend, that, again, we get controlled by many things because here's what we're doing. We want pleasure and we want, you know, good things for our lives and we start going after things that might be neutral but yet we're trying to find pleasure in them. And so we 
we can be brought under the control of something that's totally, you know, no problem. It's no big deal, right? But even neutral things can become sin for you if you let it control you. Okay? There's so many things that come to mind here under number two, you know, regarding, you, you know, being godly parents and wanting your children, you know, it's like you want your children to have good things and, and then you get carried away with, you know, how, how you're doing things or even grandparents, right? <laughs> and we've got to be careful that we're not being brought under the control of these things. I call myself to it. I call you to it. We need to be brought under the control, submit to the Lord in, in our lives. Asking for wisdom, asking for his help and strength in it. Okay, so that was number two. Number three, does it cause others to stumble? Does it cause others to stumble? And if someone sees you um, drinking or smoking or whatever, whatever other things, if others see you doing that, it might be that they stumble because they don't have that, the strength maybe in their faith to understand that maybe it's okay. And they look at it and they say, oh, is that what a Christian does? Huh? I remember I was saved back in the early 70s. And this is an example. When I was in, I lived in San, uh, grew up in Minnesota, moved to San Diego for like two years. And in those two years, I was, I was free as a little bird, able to go do whatever I wanted to. And I found parties. I found plenty of parties. I found plenty of concerts to go to. And some of those concerts, you know, I'm not going to get into the details, but the music there was such that it just was, it just became, you know, I was controlled by it. It was like, if I hear a song now uh, on the oldies station, I can, my mind can go in the way wrong place right away because of just a certain song or a certain group. I was really into it. So, 1974, I, I come to faith in Christ and I get with other Christians and we're down in, now in San Clemente area of California and um, some of my friends said, hey, you got to come to... There's the neatest Christian concert at Knott's Berry Farm. And they did these Christian concerts at Knott's Berry Farm. So I, yeah, let's go. Praise the Lord. And we heard, you know, all those early groups in Christian music, you know, strumming their guitar and, you know, this is, the, you know, all that. But then I went into one of the auditoriums and I hear this group there, more rock, rock and roll kind of driven music. And I'm, I'm kind of going, whoa, 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 no, no can't handle this that's wrong (laughs) because of my what i was saved out of and other others were at the concert and they were enjoying it they were having a great old time but i stumbled i i had a hard time accepting that and understanding that i'm not trying to be a proponent for christian rock music by the way I'm just saying, are we going to argue over Christian rock music? 
You know, is that something to, to, you know, really put it, boom. You know, you shall not listen to Christian rock music. Well, music changes over time. Why didn't, you know, my wife pointed it out a long, long time ago. Why didn't God put music notes in the Bible? And that way we would have a whole lot of easier times back when we were arguing over what kind of music you listen to. He didn't, he didn't do that. It's about a message and a music that matches the message. Okay? I get off track with that one. Okay. So, for guiding questions as to what you choose, is it beneficial, number one? Is it, does it bring me under its control, number two? Number three, does it cause others to stumble? And four, does it glorify God? And you say, well, gee, that's, that's a wide open thing. Well, no. Be in the Word so you know more detail about what truly glorifies God. And learn that and grow in that and then pass that on to your children. Okay, our conclusion. It gets back to this. Are we a congregation? Are we a group of believers that love in this way? And I want to point us, first of all, to God's design is to transform you, Christian. God's design is to transform you so that you will reflect His likeness, so that you will practice His kind of love. Okay? And He wants to bring about a, a transformation that leaves away, the, the, eliminates the critical spirit and moves you on to maturity in Christ, into likeness of Christ, bringing about a maturity in the faith being strong in the faith, having a deeper and stronger love for God and for others. You remember back in the early 70s, that little button that had all those letters on it? P-B-P-G-I-N. I don't know what the rest of it. It stood for please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And people, you know, it just had the letters on it. You say, oh, what does that stand for? And the person was able to say, well, please be patient. God's not finished with me yet. Now, that's not for an excuse to live however you want to live. That's to point you after further growth in the faith. Then, that's God's design. Then your decision is to remind yourself of His acceptance of you. If He accepted you, how in the world are you being critical of others? Again, discernment, if I see a a Christian brother or sister, you know, screaming and yelling at their kid and, you know, whatever, in in an uncontrolled way, I would want to go to that person and say, you know, that's not the way to do that. I know, that's, that's no fun to go do. But to see them out of control, I'd want to encourage them to say, you know, there's a better way to instruct your child and to help them along but not only remind yourself of his acceptance of you but remind yourself of his acceptance of other believers other brothers and sisters in christ and your decision also deals with you dethroning your own opinions now here's a careful with this i didn't say delete them i don't i'm not saying delete your opinions 
I'm saying dethrone them, demote them, so that those opinions aren't, you know, leading the way, but that you're saying, I want to be driven by Jesus Christ in my life and to love Him and to love others this way. The idea of deleting, I'm sorry, dethroning your opinions would then mean elevate and exalt His truth in your life. More time spent in the Word of God so that more you can embrace and exalt the truth of God and then ask God to help you be a blessing to others. Okay? So, your decision means humbling yourself and yielding to God. And taking these steps in your life will bring about a maturity in dealing with others that have differences or in relating with others that have differences. What if we had someone that came in that claimed to be a believer and he was dressed in shoddy clothes, didn't have the same upbringing that we had? How would we treat him? So we've got to focus on the priorities. His, his truth, His glory, and that we would love in these kind of differences. So, we will pick it up again next week and finish off Romans chapter 14, Lord willing. Um, pray that God would help you and me to grow more and more in these ways. Let's stand in closing prayer. Just bow your heads. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word, for your example, Lord Jesus, and for your spirit working in our lives to change us, to turn us away from our stubborn selves, and to turn us more and more to you in your glory. Lord, please, Continue your work. We, we thank you for the promise of your word that you will complete your work. I pray that each one of us as Christians would keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that we are tools, instruments in your hands in loving the way you have taught us here. Guide us in this and be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
You're dismissed. Have a great day.